0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, that is our prayer this morning. We especially want to pray this morning as we call to you as Father. Father who is in heaven, a Father who is eternal, who is omnipresent, who is omnipotent, who is all-knowing. Lord, we call out to you with with great hope, knowing that you can do so many things that we can't do. You can do all things, and we can do nothing. And so we come before you. We ask especially that you would uh, have your name be hallowed, that that your name would be lifted up as holy and separate and important, Lord. We pray that all the people of the earth would see your glory and know your goodness. Lord, we pray for your gospel as it goes out this morning through all your churches here in the valley and And throughout this state and this country and throughout the world, Lord, we pray that you would empower your servants to preach your word this morning. Um, We pray, Lord, that for all the places that are left with unreached people groups, places where people have not heard the good news of Jesus, Lord, we pray that that mission would be completed, that it would be completed soon, Lord. We pray that you would make us a part of that, show us ways we can be a part of completing the mission that you have. We, Lord, want you to be glorified in all the earth. Um, we pray, Lord, that, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look forward to the time when you will return, your son will return as king, and set up his kingdom over this world and make all things new. And we're looking forward to that, Lord. And in the meantime, we pray that you would use us by your spirit to, to bring fruits of the kingdom even now as we serve and love our neighbors, as we share the gospel with them, and as they receive freedom in your spirit, Lord. We, we look forward to the time when full freedom is coming. and. And we, we thank you that you are the one who gives us our daily bread. We thank you and we pray, Lord, that we be more and more dependent on you just for the everyday physical things that you give us that we neglect to mention, Lord. We want to say right now, as we all gather, that we're thankful for it. We're thankful for the ways you fed us and served us and cared for us. And Lord, we pray for our daily bread spiritually this morning, Lord. We pray that you would feed us. We know, Lord, that you see us as your sons and daughters, and we have gathered around your table, and you have a meal for us that you have prepared uh, through me from your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would give it out, that it would be your words, that it would be your meal that you have created for us. Um, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us our debts Lord, we come before you not as a people who have it together. We have sinned in many ways, even in this room and on the way here and yesterday and over the weekend and throughout the week. Lord, we've not treated our families as we ought. We've not treated co-workers as we ought, friends, neighbors. Lord, we are a sinful people, and yet you've made us pure in your sight through your son, Jesus. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. We're so thankful that you are always ready to receive us as the father in the parable of the Good Samaritan with his arms wide open and ran towards his wayward son. You have that point of view for us, and we're so thankful. And we pray, Lord, that we would forgive those who have sinned against us. You say here that we are to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, that is a huge thing. Lord, we pray that we would, in this service today, release the debts that we hold against others in the ways that they've sinned against us. Lord, that we would give out what we've received from you. Full pardon, full welcome, full love. And we pray, Lord, too, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We know very well that there is an enemy of our souls that hunts us down, that wants to separate us from you. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us from that. Lord, we know this morning from the parable of the soils that as your seed goes forth, as your gospel goes forth, um, sometimes the enemy just plucks it right out. We pray, Lord, that you would protect us from that. We pray, Lord, that no one that comes in this room would have the word of God plucked from their hearts. We know, Lord, too, that some seeds, they were on hard ground and they sprang up for a time and then fell away. Lord, we pray that you'd make our hearts good soil for your word so that it would grow deep in our hearts and make us new. And Lord, we know that the worries of the world uh, sometimes and riches and cares of this world choke out the seed as it grows. And we pray, Lord, that you would guard us against that, Lord, that we wouldn't be relying on anything else but you to, for our strength and our joy and our contentment. Lord, we pray that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we pray, Lord, you'd have your way in this room. We pray that you give us new desires, new affections, and also new actions and new words, Lord. We pray that your spirit would live through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in a series, in a doctrine series over the summer, and we've been looking at a bunch of different doctrines. So we looked at the Trinity a couple weeks ago, we've looked at the doctrine of Christ, we've looked at the Atonement last week, and this morning we're going to look at the, uh, the doctrine of union with Christ. And so we're going to be in, the best place to do that is in John 15 because there's this wonderful image that Jesus gave us of the vine and the branches to both teach us the doctrine of the union with Christ and also how to live in it. And so I really would like you guys to look at this, John 15, so if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, they've got Bibles in the back and they'll bring one to you. You're going to have to do like an extroverted hand up I really want you guys to look here at John 15 and and really see what's here because it's such a blessing to really dig into the word and see it, okay? And um, Jesus says here that our relationship with him is like the relationship between branches and a vine. You see in verse one, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit He prunes it so it will bear more fruit. And so the image here is a very simple one that that Jesus gives. It's of a a vine, a grapevine, right, coming out of the ground like that. And, um, and that we're like branches that are coming off of that vine. And, um, and then he gives this image here of his father being the vine dresser, which I really like. He's the vine keeper. And so um, we connect to Jesus, this being Jesus, the, the vine, we're the branches. And then the father is kind of going along the, the vine, caring for it and caring for all the branches. And I just love this image of thinking about, you know, the father as kind of this Middle Eastern man walking along, caring for the, the vine and the branches and overseeing the whole relationship. And what we're going to see in this text is that not only does Jesus' life flow in and through us, but the Father is governing our whole lives to prune us and keep us. So we're being cared for, for like from within and without. It's a beautiful image. And then you've got branches, and there's two types of branches here. There's these dead fruitless branches. You see that in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If you drop down to verse 6, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Uh, These are branches that he's describing here are are false branches. These are non-living, non-abiding, non-connected, non-fruitful branches. Um, there's always people, guys, that will, for a while, show some interest in the things of Jesus and then fall away. I mentioned during the prayer, you know, the parable of soil, soils, and the soils, or the parable of the sower, whichever you want to call it, and, and how there's different people have different reactions to the gospel, and some don't persist. That's what these branches are. Um, Judas would be a kind of this right a little earlier in John you see that with Judas he has already gone away at the beginning before this and Jesus said to him he said all of you are clean except for one of you that he was never really truly a branch in the vine he was this kind of fruitless one that later fell away and you might be you might be a non-christian here this morning and uh, you may have been greatly put off by dead branches Um, This happens, where you have been greatly put off by people who claim to be Christians, but were super un-Christ-like. And I won't have you do a show of hands, but I'm sure there's some of you here who are not believers that have had that experience with Christians. And what uh, what this image shows us that Jesus has here is that there's no way for people to have the life of Christ unless they're connected to Christ. And so we should expect that there will be some that have, you know, some attachment to Christianity, but no actual life of Jesus within them. And so you have to have that understanding that there's true and false branches. But I think if you're a non-Christian here this morning, you've probably also interacted with what Jesus talks about in the second half of the verse which is branches that evidently had the life of Jesus in them. Take a look at that. It says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Those are the true living, connected branches into Christ. Those who have the life of Christ in them, a kind of life that religion can't give. Religion can't give the kind of life that, that Jesus the vine can give. And there's fruit growing off of this branch, right, and some green leaves and all that, and all that life is coming from Jesus. And Jesus actually is making that point. He's making the point that dead religion can never give life like he can because he calls himself the true vine. What's interesting is, okay, what's the false vine? Well, in the Old Testament, frequently, the Lord talked about Israel's a vine or a vineyard that he planted and he took care of, but it never bore any good fruit. And, um, and, and the point he's making here is that he's the true vine. And if you try and connect in any kind of religious behavior or you know, connecting to other people or whatever, you'll never bear fruit. You need to bear fruit by connecting to the true fruitful one, the true vine, Jesus Christ. And, and the theological term for this is called union with Christ. That's what we're looking at this morning is a doctrine of union with Christ. When you became a Christian, God connected you to Jesus by this Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came within you. Um, God uh, connected you to Jesus because Jesus is on the throne in heaven. Holy Spirit's within you. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's God, so he's also in heaven. And he's the connection point between you and Jesus. He's actually the the unseen person that goes right here. The Holy Spirit is the one that connects you to Christ. And this connection, guys, we can talk about it in three ways. This connection, this union with Christ is spiritual, it's legal, and it's organic, and we're going to look at that uh, organic. We're going to look at that um, this morning. We're going to look that it's legal, spiritual, and organic. First, it's spiritual. It's spiritual in that you're connected by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we use the word spiritual to think of it as like not real, you know? Spiritual is real because the Holy Spirit is the one connecting you. Your connection to Christ is even more real than if you were physically connected to Him because you're connected to Him by the Holy Spirit. You're connected to Him spiritually. Okay, and so that's the first one, and if you wanted to draw like little pictures, you know, you can make a diagram, you can make me make like a, I can't do this, but this is like kind of the Calvary Chapel dove, you know, kind of something like that maybe. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Something like that. You can draw your own. Okay, we'll have a competition later. Didn't want, the eye did not help. Uh, Suddenly it didn't look like a bird. So it's spiritual. We're connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Our union with Christ also, guys, is legal. It's a legal union. It's a legal union just like a marriage union. And just like a marriage union, when when you got married, if you're married, you shared all of your debts and all of your assets. We have now shared with Jesus all of our debts, and he shares with us all of his assets. Like a marriage union where the husband's possessions become the wife's when they're married, all of Christ's righteousness is now ours because we're legally united with him. When the Spirit united you with Jesus, you got all of his righteousness, and it goes both ways, right? Just like if there was a wife who had tremendous debt when she got married, guess what? All those debts are now her husband's. Same thing with us, is that we brought all of our sin into this union, and he paid for those on the cross. We got his righteousness. He got our debts on the cross. And that's, this text also talks about that. If you look at verse 3, it's, he says, Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And I think that's really important for him to say that right there because this passage is like about bearing fruit and transformation and change and Christ likeness and we could get the wrong idea and think okay well if I bear fruit then I'll know for sure you know that, that God loves me and God cares for me and I'll know that I'm accepted with him and that's not the right place to start. We start from a place of that we've been legally united with Christ. We have all of his righteousness. He took all of our sin. Now we go forward and bear fruit. If you have it the other way around that you're constantly trying to earn something with God that that's that's actually going to be completely short-circuit any growth that you have. So right up front, he says to them, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Um, By believing the gospel word, we've been connected with Christ the vine, and now we share his righteousness and are considered by God to be perfectly clean. And we'll always be considered that way because we're connected to Jesus. We're in Jesus. We're a part of his body and now, therefore, share in all that he has. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel right there, right? Right? And the third thing, and so you could make like a little, I'm probably better at this one. You could probably make some like legal scales or something like that. Is that better? A little better than my bird, right? And then the last one would be is that it's an organic union. Because we're connected to Christ, now his life can flow through us. And this is what really John 15 is mostly about, is it's mostly about, there's little leaves This is mostly about how we bear fruit. It's mostly about the organic union with Christ. So we're spiritually united in that the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. We're legally united in that we have his righteousness. he took our sin, and then we're organically united to Christ. And so that's what we're mostly going to talk about this morning, is that we have this organic union. Organic meaning life, that his life can now flow into us. When you became a Christian, you were like this dead, kind of withered branch And you were, by the Spirit, plugged into Christ, grafted into him such that his life started to flow through you. That's what that organic union is about. Isn't that amazing? There's a process, guys, for doing this called grafting. You guys know what grafting is? So grafting is where you take a plant and you you make like a deep cut into it. And then you connect a branch in. That's grafting, right? And, and that's what he did, is he grafted us into Christ. We don't naturally belong connected to Christ, but by faith, he connected us to Christ, and now Christ's life can flow through you. You might ask, well, what does that look like? What does Christ's life look like? We think about like grapes and fruit and all this stuff. What does that practically look like in your life? Galatians 5.22 describes the fruit that Christ, of, of Christ's life. It says this, The fruit of the Spirit... Listen to these and listen to. You may think that, like, you know, following Christ would be like a huge bummer or something like that or ruin your life. Listen to the kind of life you would have. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Isn't that wonderful? That's the life that Jesus now lives through his people by that organic union. And when you look at the Gospels, that's exactly what you see in Jesus' life. You see the fruit of the Spirit. And you say, well, I could never live like that. You're right. You can't. This passage says that. You can never live like that. Only the vine can produce that kind of fruit. And we get it through being connected to him. In Philippians, it says this, that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes Through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus' life, it it comes through us as we're connected to him. And not just our actions. A lot of people focus on the actions and the words. It's not just the actions and the words. His life actually flows into us at the level of our minds and at the level of our affections. Okay, I want to show you a verse on that. So 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that the Holy Spirit actually gives us the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? He says, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that incredible? He doesn't just want to change your actions and your words. He wants to give you Christ's mind for things. It's amazing, huh? That sounds good. This connection to us is deep within our being. He transforms us from the inside out. Also, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives us his emotions for people. There's a passage, it might just be a throwaway passage, you might think of Philippians 1.8. Paul says this, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. What's he saying? He's all, I love all of you, not like Jesus loves you, with Jesus' love. He's saying that in my union with Christ, Christ's love has come into me and goes out to you, and it's actually Jesus' love. So what Christianity is not about, Christianity is not about seeing Jesus as an example and trying really, really hard to be like him, even though you don't want to be. Christianity is about abiding in Christ such that his emotions and his mind for people comes out through you. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. That's super good news. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Um, I mentioned abiding in Christ. What does it mean? You don't use the word abide probably very much. Uh, The Greek word is meno, and the word means to abide in, to remain in, to live in, to dwell in. It's kind of easy to remember because you think of like an abode. Nobody uses that word either. But abode would be like a house, right? It would be a place you live. And to abide is to live in, to remain in, to dwell in. Jesus is commanding us here in this text to continue to live in him, to live in him, to live out from him. The Holy Spirit's connected us in this kind of hidden connection in our hearts to Christ so his life can flow through us. And to abide in him is to consciously keep drawing our strength from Christ, not from ourselves. Okay, I know that sounds kind of esoteric. I'll get into the details of what that's about. But it means like you're already, he's already in you. Now it's for you to live in him. The, for you to like this branch is somehow kind of drawing the life out of the vine. That's what abiding is about. It's about us consciously drawing our strength from Christ, not ourselves. And, and if you abide in Christ, his life will push out your deadness, right? So you're this dead, withered branch. And maybe you feel like that this morning. Who feels like a dead, withered branch this morning? Usually a lot of times on Sunday morning, spiritual warfare, right? You feel, you woke up feeling, but it's a good thing, right? Because you know you're a dead, withered branch, and that's perfect for this message. But what happens is you're this dead, withered branch, nasty little branch, and he, he makes this cut into Christ and connects you, and then Christ's life starts to flow through you, and it turns green, and leaves start coming on, and then grapes, and it's like, right? All this fruit starts coming out, and it's all Christ's life, right? That happens as we abide in him. As we consciously draw our life from him, he flows out through us, and that fruit is his fruit. Notice it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of Jesus. It comes from him. And another thing happens, which he mentioned in verse 2, is that we're fruitful as we abide in Christ, and then the vine keeper, the father, comes along, and he prunes to make sure you'll make even more fruit. And does that sound comfortable? It doesn't sound comfortable, right? That's a cutting thing. Sometimes the Father prunes us by cutting away things that we're relying on for strength other than Christ. Because we do that, right? We rely on all kinds of other things for strength except for Christ. So the Father comes along not in anger, not to intentionally hurt you, none of that. But it does hurt, and it's to cut away the things that you're trusting in besides Christ for strength. You know, you hear people say things like, "Um, God will never give you more than you can handle. You heard that? Heard that? It's a, it's a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 sounds kind of like that, but that is completely untrue. Okay? And if you're saying that to people that are suffering, you're torturing them. Okay? so somebody's, you know, suffering, you say, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's actually a form of torturing those who are suffering. Okay? Because it's, if, if by that you mean that he will never give you more than you can handle in your own strength then it's totally not true. Guys, God gives you more than you can handle all the time. All the time. And that's what pruning is about. Pruning is about God giving you more than you can handle. So that what? So that you'll abide in him. So that you'll start seeking your strength from Christ, right? The Father prunes us to make us abide more deeply in him. And, and Jesus is so emphatic here. I love it. He's so emphatic about the fact that you can't bear fruit without him. Take a look at verse 4. He says it negatively, then positively, then negatively. It's like, it's a lot of the same thing. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless, by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Negative. Positive. I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that will bear much fruit. Positive. Negative. For apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> we obviously really need to hear it. He tells it it's, this three different ways. And when he says you can't do anything, he doesn't mean you can't do anything at all. Like you can't brush your teeth. You're just like completely helpless. You can't do anything apart from him. He's not talking about that. He's talking about you can't do anything of eternal value. You can't do anything of eternal value unless you're actually drawing your strength from him. And guys, don't you want to do things of eternal value? You could say, well, I'm not really interested in that anyway. Really? guys, life is short, super short. I mean, we could all be dead today. It wouldn't take much, right? And, and we will all die very soon. Life is extremely short. Don't you want something from this short life that will last? Don't you want to have anything with you 10,000 years from now of value? Like, let's not be short-sighted. Some of you guys are like just obsessed with your retirement. You're obsessed with your retirement account. You know, how much you've got saved away and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's the thing you think about every day. You're so short-sighted. What about 10,000 years from now? You want to bring nothing with you? Right? Come on, guys. Like, we can't do anything of eternal value apart from Christ. Guys, let me put it this way. The Christian life is impossible. Okay? The Christian life is impossible to do. You cannot do it. You know why? Because the Christian life is Christ's life. When you see the descriptions of it, it is Christ's life. The only way to do this is if Christ lives through you. There's no other way. You can't go like, well, you know, I think I did about 40%, 30%. There's only two ways to do this. You can do it by yourself, which is zero, or you can do it through him, which is 100%. There is no in between. There's no like, oh, you know, I'm kind of living it. No, you're either fully living it sometimes and not living it sometimes, but it's only live when Christ is living through us. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so apart from him, we can do nothing. We have to abide in him. And you know what's really interesting? You guys might be surprised by this. Jesus said something very similar about himself. If you look at John 5:30, he said, Jesus said this, "I can do nothing on my own." That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus said he could do nothing on his own. Well, how did Jesus live then? Jesus lived constantly drawing his strength through the Holy Spirit from the Father, just like we now live, constantly drawing our strength from Christ through the Holy Spirit. Like he was the first abider. Isn't that amazing? That he got his strength through the Holy Spirit to live fully God, fully man, right? Live, uh, fully God, living as a man, fully God and fully man, both. A couple weeks ago, we covered that. But his way of living was as a spirit-empowered man. And so, as we're learning to abide in Christ, we should be looking at Christ and seeing how he lived. Because he lived constantly dependent on his Father. And so, how practically do we, moment by moment, abide, live in Jesus? Um... I see three pointers here in John 15, um, and there's, there's a lot here. I mean, you could, and I think this would be a great discussion, you could take this, get together, and talk about how do you practically abide in Christ every day? Because this is what the Christian life is. You say like, oh, well, how do you do abiding, abiding in Christ? That is the Christian life. And so there's lots and lots and lots of answers. I'm going to give you three pointers. But I would love for you guys to discuss with each other how you found that you can actually live every day in the power of Jesus. But I see three pointers here. We need to live in Jesus' words. We need to live in prayer. And we need to live in his love. First, we need to live in his words. Look at verse 7. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We can actually learn, guys, to live in, to abide in, to to dwell in to make our home in jesus's words okay he's not talking about just hey you should read it once in a while and maybe think of it he says we need to live in it somehow we like crawl in you know and live inside of jesus's words that we would abide in it this is so radically different than what passes for christianity today guys because what passes for christianity today is like i have a vague belief in jesus and then i kind of just do whatever's right in my own eyes and then, and then I kind of reimagine Jesus that he agrees with all this. Like, that's basically what Christianity looks like, at least in our culture. Vague belief in Jesus, vague, vague uh, allegiance to him. And then I just do whatever I want, and then I go, you know what? Jesus would like this. Let me show you why. That is not, that's a, that's a Jesus, guys, with no authority. That's, a, that's an imaginary Jesus because he actually came out of your mind, that's what we call imaginary, right? It's imaginary Jesus with no authority. What we have here is that he wants us not just to read this and know this, but to memorize it and meditate in it and let it shape our reality. His words are reality. We're to abide in here. We're to, like, crawl into his words and make a little nest in there, right? To live in it, to where this is your reality. This frames everything that you do. And this is going to be hard to do, guys, because that requires time. And focus—the two things um, you, that most of us claim not to have any time, and most of us clearly have no focus, right? And, and there's, it's a problem these days. I mean, even lots of secular books that are out now about training yourself to th- to focus. There's a book called Deep Work that's really good, another work called Hyperfocus. There's tons of books and stuff about how to train yourself to focus, because it turns out we can't anymore, many of us, because of digital media and things like that. We have about a seven-minute attention span, okay? So about every seven minutes, you have to look at your phone and get a digital cookie, right? Because your brain goes, I need a cookie, and then you look at it, right? I need a cookie. We have to train our, ourselves, guys, to focus because, guys, focus is worship. You can't worship without focusing. And what's happened in our kind of day and age with the technology, which I love—Apple, one, iPhone—I mean, iPad. Preaching from iPad. I love all the stuff, right? I love all the gear. But, guys, if we only have a seven-minute attention span, we're not going to be able to focus very much. We're not going to be able to abide in Jesus' words. We need to sit and, like, marinate and really focus on Jesus' words. You know, can you do that for 20 minutes? No phone, no Instagram of it, just reading it and sending 20 minutes. Can you spend 40 minutes in it? Could you spend an hour without looking at your phone at all? but just focused on it, thinking about it, writing about it. Could you do that? That's what it's going to take, guys, to abide in God's word, is we need to focus, we need to drill into this. And it's important, guys, too, to ask ourselves, what are we abiding in now? Because if we look at the fruit of our culture right now, the fruit that's very common is anxiety, huge fruit of our culture. If we think, what's the fruit our culture produces? Anxiety, anger, seen any anger lately? It's getting angrier. Lust, and discontentment you know that's not an authoritative list that's just what i'm seeing if you want to disagree let me know but anxiety anger lust and discontentment these fruits come in direct proportion to what we abide in okay the media we abide in think about your news i've told you guys this a bunch of times i think i say it every sunday the news media makes money by making you angry or scared okay that's the way they make money they make money by advertising most of them And they they get advertising money when you share it, and you're most likely to share something that made you either scared or angry. Okay, this is a business that makes money off your fear and anger. Should we take part? I mean, if they just said it up front, like, hey, I'm going to make you as angry and scared as possible. I'm going to make money off that. Are you in? I mean, look at the way the headlines are done. You're being played. You say, oh, yeah, that liberal media. No, 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 no. Your media. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, conservative media. No, 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 your media. Both of them. I switched to a news source that's, like, so boring. I just need to know if we're having a nuclear war. Like, that's all I really need to know. So it's super boring. It doesn't change very often. All the headlines are kind of boring. So I look and go, "Yep, nothing to see here, you know, right? But a lot of you guys have some that have all this bait laid out for you to make you angry and anxious, Right? And you think about lust. You think about the things that are inflaming your lust, whether it's through social media or the shows that you're streaming. Um, you think about discontentment. I mean, it could be anything. It could be just like you like watching Fixer Upper. You like watching Fixer Upper all the time. And every time you watch it, it makes you discontent about your home. I mean, that seems like very harmless, doesn't it? But it, it's not harmless. That we're discontent. It's because we're getting all this input. Guys, in the old days, like, you'd run into a few people during the day. You'd have very few people to feel jealous of. You, you wouldn't know what they're eating. You wouldn't know, like, the awesome time they're having with their friends. You wouldn't see all their vacation pictures. You know, you wouldn't see all this, guys. Think about the medium that you're focusing on, the, what you're abiding in, guys. Because if, if you're having trouble with any of these things, anger, anxiety, discontentment, lust, And add up how much time you spend in these different areas. And then look and see if it exceeds the time you spend abiding in Jesus' words. And you know what you're getting? Perfect results for the system you built. Like, why am I like this? You're getting perfect results for the system you built. Seriously. So am I. I Think, like, why is my heart like this? I'm getting perfect results for the system I built. We need to abide in Jesus' words. Jesus abided in God's words. I love this. His words became like like his lifeblood. In fact, when you cut Jesus, he bled Bible. Do you remember him on the cross? He, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. It's Psalm 22. You cut him and he bleeds Scripture. That's what it looks like to abide in God's word is that when they cut you, you bleed Bible. Third, we need to live in prayer. Take a look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. For this is my father, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Abide in, live in Jesus' presence and in his power. I mean that's what really what prayer is about, right? Live in, in prayer. Live in his presence and power. This is a gift he's given us. And I want to just run through a few ways that we could abide in prayer throughout the day. I'm just, these aren't like a rule to you. These are Things that are open to you. When you wake up, greet the Lord, right? Greet him when you wake up. Start with an awareness that you're living united to Christ as a branch and a vine. Um, In the morning when you pray, pray that he would give you Christ's mind and his affections for people. I mean, we just found out that because we're connected to Christ, we cannot just have his, his actions. We can have his thoughts and his emotions for people. Let's ask for that. A mentor of mine, he he taught me to pray this way. Father, fill my mind with Christ's mind today. Every crevice, right? Every little groove of my brain, fill it with Christ's mind. Uh, Give me Jesus' eyes for people today. That's a lot different than just like, help me not to blow up at people. You know, give me Jesus' eyes for people today. Give me his ears for people. Help me to hear as he hears. Give me his thoughts for people. Give me his perceptions of people today. Um, Give me Jesus' affections today for everyone I see today. Give me Jesus' love for people, not my own. Help me to live every moment abiding in Jesus. And then, Lord, show me when I'm trying to live kind of disconnected from Christ and not receiving strength from him. And then throughout the day, we should be praying things like, you know, Lord, what should I be thinking? What should I be uh, saying? What should I be doing at this moment? That'd be totally appropriate. You know, we have those moments in our day where we're like, I don't know what I should do next. It'd be a great thing to ask him. What should I do next? It's really cool because like, as we do that, we'll find ourselves being led by the Lord. One old author said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. Right? If we were praying throughout the day that he would show us what he wants us to say and do, we're going to find all sorts of opportunities that we didn't have before. When we meet with people, pray for them in your mind. You know, this is a great way to bless. I mean, even if you had no opportunity to share the gospel that day, you would be a blessing to everyone around you if you just prayed for every single person silently that you came in contact with. Um, When you're tempted, pray, right? When you're tempted, pray. Don't try and wrestle that, you know, "Ah, I'm really wrestling, I'm really struggling. Did you pray? We should pray, if possible, out loud and say, Father, you see my thoughts. I know you don't want these thoughts. I don't want them either. We agree. Please take them from me. Give me Jesus' thoughts for this situation. Um, With each person that we're speaking with, we should pray in our minds for an open door to speak of Christ. We don't have to constantly be like banging the door down and stuff like that. But I bet you if we would, and this is kind of a manifesto for me. This isn't like what I'm doing right now. This is what I want to do. This is what I aspire to do. But if we were with every person we're talking to, just silently in our minds, just praying, Lord, give me some opportunity to speak of you, whether it's a believer or unbeliever we would have so many more opportunities. We'd see so many more opportunities. And then we should trust in Jesus to to speak through us, right? Um, When you have set times of prayer, I think this is really exciting. When you have set times of prayer, ask the Lord to prompt you what to pray for. I think that's what's happening in verse 7. Take a look at it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And you're like, wow, that's kind of interesting. never experienced that before. What is that? I think what's going on there is that the Holy Spirit will actually share with us the mind of Christ, and as we live in Jesus' words and we depend on him to guide us, he will actually prompt us to pray for things he wants to do. Isn't that cool? I love that. And I've experienced that. I think you guys have too, where you've been praying through something, you kind of thought of something, the Lord brought somebody to mind, and you started praying for that person, and then more you thought, like, no, I think there's a real problem here you know, you start praying harder and then you contact him and say, "Hey, you know, I've been praying for you and I really had a sense that something was going on." And they're like, "Oh man, you wouldn't believe what was going on that hour in my life." Right? That happens. He prompts us. And so we ought to actually ask the Spirit to tell us what to pray for. First John 5:14 says, "And this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us." And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked. This is super exciting. I mean, I you guys probably have prayer lists too, but I have like prayer lists. Um, let me find the list here. i got a list of all of you guys. So I've got all your last names. And, um, and it's a huge list, actually. If you guys all came at once, it would be crazy. But, okay, so I've got a list of last names here. And I'll just look at this. And then, you know, my, my most common habit is not to pray through every one of these. Okay, that's how to make your prayer life very painful as if you have like hundreds of things and you feel like you have to do them all. Way better is to, because you're connected to Christ, you're inviting him, you put it here and you go, Lord, who would you have me to pray for right now? And I'll tell you, certain people are going to pop up that the Lord wants you to pray for and pray for them. If you get a sense there's something there, contact that person, see, check. And when he does give you insights like that make a note of it because that's super cool that's evidence of a in exchange between you and christ in heaven i would write that down um there's other things here i have a list of like um just kind of requests that i have like kind of general requests for us same thing don't have to pray for them all prompt me lord show me what you would have me to pray for what you want to do and and we can have that super exciting guys um, Paul talked about praying without ceasing. I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here when he says, abide in me, is that we would have a life that constantly goes in and out of, um, like, we, we were praying out loud sometimes, we we're praying in our hearts sometimes, but throughout the day, in and out, uh, either out loud or, or, or in our minds, that we're abiding in prayer. And you might say, well, like, that sounds like a huge burden. It's not. It's not a huge burden. You know what's a burden? Doing it by yourself is a huge burden. Right, living the way we live now is a huge burden. Actually, doing this, abiding in Christ, will actually make everything a lot easier. Okay, Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Jesus says, "Come to me, all you are heavy, lab- all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, me upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Jesus wants to do the heavy lifting for you. That's what abiding in him is about. Um, Third, we want to live in his love. So we want to live in his word, we want to live in prayer, we want to live in his love. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 9, guys, is actually startling. You may have not even noticed it. Listen to what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Is that startling? Do you see what's going on there? If you're a Christian, Jesus loves you with the same intensity that the Father loves him. That's what he's saying. In the same, with the same intensity that the Father loves me, I love you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus loves you like the Father loves him. And that's a gift of the gospel. You don't earn that. That's by grace, through faith, united with Christ because you're considered one with Christ. Uh, he loves you. He loves you the same way the Father loves him. It's an amazing thing, that love that we have. And Jesus is saying that we should live in that, live in his love, abide in his love, Um, live in utter confidence in his love. You know, Jesus, he walked around knowing that God loved him more than anyone in the world. He walked around in utter confidence that God loved him, utter confidence, everything he did. and He lived in power because of that. Guys, we live in power when we live in utter confidence that God loves us. Utter confidence that God loves us. That's what this is about, right? We live in power when we do that. He says, abide in that. Live in that. Live in a deep sense that Jesus loves you. And he's saying here about this commandment thing, don't take part in anything that would diminish your enjoyment of Jesus' love for you. Don't take part in anything that would diminish Your sense of Jesus' love for you. He says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the closer you walk with Christ, the more you feel his love. Now, this is not to say that Christ's love for you is contingent upon your obedience. That's not what this is saying. God loves you the same all the time. Jesus loves you as much as the Father loves him. Nothing changes that. But what this is saying is that your experience, your enjoyment of that love is contingent upon your obedience. And you guys know that you guys know that when you walk away in sin you feel his love less and less he loves you the same but you don't feel that love because you're wandering from him as we wander from his commandments we feel his love less and less we even start to kind of feel like maybe jesus is the enemy of our joy you ever feel like that when you have some sin that you're starting to cherish or you don't want to kind of take part in what jesus has you start to feel like he's trying to steal your joy like no, no no i found something that makes me happy you know, and you're you're like he, he comes and he goes. You know, I want to take that from you. You're like, ah, you know, right? You guys ever have a dog that like found like a dead gopher in the yard that was like maybe weeks old, and you're trying to take it from them, and they're like, I found the greatest thing ever, and they're dodging you and running all. Over. That's what we're like with our sin. We're like suddenly Jesus is the enemy of my joy because I've I've. Moved closer and closer to sin, and the thing is, when we wander from His commandments, we feel His love less and less. The same way that, like, you feel the sun's warmth less and less when you start to wander into a dark forest. The sun's warmth hasn't changed. God's love for you hasn't changed. What's changed is that you've wandered from Him, and you're not feeling it as much anymore. You've moved away from Him. He hasn't moved away from you. You know, when uh, when I was in high school, I had this really cool truck. It was a Chevy Stepside. It was awesome. And uh, Tasha and I started dating when we were 15. And when we were 16, I'm driving around Chevy Stepside. And you could drive other people immediately when you got your license back then. So we're driving around. It's awesome. And it had a bench seat. You guys remember bench seats? I don't know if they still exist. But she could sit like right next to me, which is super cool, right? So you're driving around. Girlfriend's right next to you. I know what you're thinking. Leave room for Jesus, you know, right? But um, So I'm driving around, and, and it was great, right? Now, imagine this. We don't have that truck anymore. Now there's consoles. I don't know. Somebody's trying to get in the way of marriages. There's always consoles now. There's no bench seat. But imagine here 30 years later, okay, that we're driving around, and we still have the bench seat. Imagine that. And she goes, she's sitting way over here, and she goes, remember when we used to sit right next to each other? I wish we did that. What would I say? I haven't moved. Right? I haven't moved. I'm still here. You moved. You moved. And that's the way it is with the Lord. When we're not feeling his love, we're not feeling that connection with him, you moved. (laughs) He hasn't gone anywhere, right? And so if you're in that place this morning, I would just plead with you guys, return to Jesus this morning. Return from your sin, from your wandering. Abide in Jesus again. Walk close to him. Feel the warmth of his love, right? He says here, abide in my love. Live in my love. Marinate your heart in my love. And we can do that if we would turn from our sin and walk closer to him. And the more you're rocked by Jesus' love for you, guess what? The more you want to do the things he's commanded. Um, John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you're in Christ, he already loves you. We need to love him back. And that's what we do through the commandments of Christ. It's not to earn his love. It's to respond to his love. Now, perhaps you're in some sort of a vicious cycle this morning. And on any given Sunday, many people are. Where you've drifted from Christ. Maybe nobody's noticed. Maybe you're continuing to do all the same things, but, you know, in your heart, you're feeling yourself cooled towards Christ. You don't feel the warmth of his love anymore. You feel less and less inclined to obey him. What's the solution for your coldness? The solution for your coldness, guys, is that you would see afresh Jesus' love for you personally. Like, that's what will warm you, right? That's what will warm you. And, And remember, we were looking at this whole thing about being, you know, grafted into Jesus, Right? Uh, And remember with a plant, the the grafting occurs by kind of making a cut in and and then hooking a branch in, right, like that. What's required of the vine to graft in a branch? The thing that's required, guys, is a deep wound, a deep wound. The, The vine has to be deeply wounded to take a branch in. Guys, Jesus has been deeply wounded to graft you in. Jesus has been deeply wounded to graft you in, right? On the cross, Jesus loved you so much that he offered his own body, his own flesh to receive the wounds that would graft you in. On the cross, Jesus was pierced and cut and killed to graft you in, to graft you in, you. I think it's very important that we see it very personally. Galatians 2.20, I love how Paul says this. He says that Jesus, he says this, he says he loved me and gave himself for me. Don't you love that? Paul's writing to the Galatians. He's writing a lot about them. And then he goes, Jesus loved me, and gave himself up for me. Can you say that this morning? You say that Jesus died for me. Not Jesus died for the world, not Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died for me. Can you say that this morning? I I want you guys to do that. Say that right now, just loud enough so you can hear. Jesus died for me. I think you need to think about that. Galatians 2.20, Jesus died for me. That'd make a huge difference if you believe that Jesus was willing to be deeply wounded so you could abide in him. And now look at what Jesus offers you. He says, abide in me, right? He's offering himself. I love that about this passage. He doesn't say like, hey, join my religion. He doesn't say like, hey, join my organization or whatever. He says, abide in me. Guys, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not trusting in him, You're not turning down religion or the church or blah, blah, blah. You're rejecting Jesus. Okay? He says, abide in me. Right? You're rejecting Jesus personally. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to reject Jesus, of all people? (laughs) God become man, deeply wounded for you. He says, abide in me. And you say, well, you know, I just don't like organized religion. Don't worry, this isn't organized. Okay? (laughs) You might be like, oh, I'm not in the church, I've been hurt. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about, he says, abide in me. Say, well, you know, I don't don't go for these religious things. Not talking about that. He says, abide in me, come to me. Of course, that means being a part of God's people, but the invitation here is to be a part of him. You know, why would you turn down Jesus? Dallas Willard, he was a um, USC philosophy professor, and one time somebody asked him, why do you follow Jesus? And you know what his answer was? Who else did you have in mind? That's a, good, that's a good response. Who else did you have in mind? This is the Jesus who died for you. He says, abide in me. He says, come have life in me, eternal life, eternal life that starts now, life that will make an eternal difference, life that will have eternal fruit, things that resonate for millions and millions of years in the future. I'm not sure what else you were looking for this morning. You know, if you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I don't know what else you're looking for. We're not giving away free iPhones. Okay, like this is the thing to have this morning. And guys, one other thing I want to say about Jesus is he is no enemy of your joy. I think everybody has this sense that somehow Jesus is going to take something from me that I really need or I really, you know, really makes me happy. Guys, look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Two things to notice about that is he came to give you joy. And whose joy? His joy in you. Isn't it crazy to find yourself happy in a way you can't explain with a joy that doesn't belong to you? Isn't that awesome? That's a thing that happens all the time. People become Christians. They start to have, you know, joy in the Lord. Not all the time. I don't run around, "Ah," you know, happy all the time. But there's this underneath profound joy, and they're like, I've never felt like this before. Yeah, because it's not you. It's Jesus' joy given to you. Guys, we here in the 21st century in America are in the greatest position to know for sure that Jesus is the only one that can make us happy. And that's because we have everything else that we thought would make us happy. As a culture, we have everything that should have made us happy, and yet our culture is miserable. Skyrocketing depression, uh, anxiety, addictions of all kinds, discontentment, anger, violence, loneliness, richest people that ever lived. Guys, we're in the best possible position to realize that Jesus is the only one that can make us happy. And as you take that message out, take it out confidently, guys. Don't go out there with the message of Jesus thinking like, oh, they probably found something better already. No, they didn't. (laughs) There's nothing better out there that they found already. And guys, the world has become such a way that the stage is set perfectly for Jesus to shine. And so take him out there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word, that it reads us. We don't read it, it reads us. And Lord, that it shows us the most beautiful things. Lord, we pray that we would abide in this, that we would live in this. And Father, we pray that you would make us people who are constantly in our inner being open to you, abiding you in prayer that you wouldn't be like the fourth possible thing that we would do when we're distressed, but you'd be the first person to run to. We pray, Lord, that we would, even sitting in our cars in traffic or in a line or somewhere just brutally boring or painful, that we could experience your life in us that we could experience communion with you, that we could dwell in prayer with you in such a way that any place could be the best place to be because you are connected to us, you are with us. And Lord, as we take communion and we remember the sacrifice of your son, we pray, Lord, that you would feed us by it. Lord, we believe that it's not just a remembrance, but it is a way we abide in you. And so we pray as we take the bread and the cup that we would be filled with you in a new way, that we would leave here being, having been fed with your holy food of your word and the holy food from your table. We pray, Lord, as we, as we speak to one another afterwards, after we worship you with all our hearts, as we speak to one another afterwards, we pray that you would give each one of your people here a spiritual gift to share with everyone else. Lord, we pray that you would um, give people encouragement for each other, mercy for each other, Lord, we pray even that you would give people a word of prophecy for one another, that you would um, help us to pray for one another with, with great faith and great trust in you. We pray, Lord, that no one would leave here without knowing that they have met with the living God. And we thank you for meeting with us in your word. We love your word. We pray that it would be just the, the, the formation of our whole reality. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as we take the Lord's Supper during these next couple songs, the way we do it here is that during the next few songs, you can come forward, take the bread in the cup. The bread is gluten-free, so you don't need to worry about that. You can either take it alone. You can take it with others along the wall, with the person sitting next to you, with your families. we ask that you'd only take it if you're trusting in Jesus. The Lord's Supper, guys, is a way of abiding in Christ. And I think we haven't always recognized this. But in John 6, Jesus said that we abide in him. When we abide in him, it's like spiritually eating and drinking him, right? It's like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And we don't literally drink his blood and eat his flesh when we take communion. But what we do have, because of the Holy Spirit, we do have an ability to feed on his presence. That the Holy Spirit makes Christ present in a real spiritual way as we take it. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, ask him to strengthen you again. Ask him to give you Christ's life through this once again. And if you're trusting in Jesus, just what we're doing is we take the bread and we remember that this is a symbol of Christ's broken body and we take the cup remembering that it is a symbol of his shed blood. And so abide in him as you take it this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.